I asked you guys for ideas on what top five lists to make, and you guys did not disappoint. Make sure you look at the time cards in the description. That'll show you where the top five lists are located within the episode. Let's get this show on the road. What's cooking episode 26? Here we go. podcast on a Wednesday as always. Thank you for popping on in. I'm excited to record now finally because we no longer have the loud buzzing noise outside of my bedroom window. At least it's stopped for the moment. For some reason my neighbor has a car that is louder at a stationary zero miles per hour state than my car would be if I was going 90 miles an hour. My man's car is just naturally loud for no reason. And so what he likes to do in his free time is go on out to his car that's parked out front and turn it on and just sit in there for about 45 minutes. And so since my little podcast studio, AKA my closet, is right by the window next to some parking spots out on our street, I get to enjoy the the peaceful sound of for about 45 minutes at a time. So now that the noise has finally stopped, I had to take this opportunity to jump in the studio, press record, and see what's cooking, and really let you guys know what's cooking, because I already know what's cooking. It's just a matter of me communicating this to you guys. That's the purpose of this podcast. And speaking of you guys, today's topic involves my diehard What's Cooking audience, my, my listeners, my supporters. I asked you guys on social media to give me some ideas for some top five lists that I can do. I'm going to bring out my rankings, going to give you guys my opinions on some different topics. You guys got pretty creative. You, you went all out. We have 16 top five lists that we're going to get through today. I'm excited. We have every sort of category under the sun, it seems like. So, love that. But before we hop right in, we have another ballin' on a budget update, guys. It's been a minute, but, uh, you know, we're taking W's in silence over here. We don't always uh, broadcast uh, the, the wins because then you, you, you draw a crowd and they start wanting to kind of uh, take notes and replicate my uh, formula. But, uh, you know, I'm the goat for a reason. Uh, the ball on a budget master. You can't copy my swag. I'm just on a different level. So keep that in mind as we go forward here. I was on Facebook Marketplace, as I usually am, looking around for another deal. And my sweet spot has been TVs lately. That's uh, that's what I know the market for. That's what I'm interested in. And I think it's very liquid because people are always buying TVs on the Facebook Marketplace. There's always going to be some sort of demand for that. Uh, until maybe there's a groundbreaking invention later on. But for the time being, that's where I spend my time. And I came upon a listing for a 55-inch 4K smart TV listed at $75. And I told this 
after I got it, I told it to my mom and she's like, is that good? <laughs> and I was like, yes, mom, that's very good. <laughs> so in case you guys don't know, 55 inch 4k smart TVs, if you look on Amazon, they're going to start out anywhere from 300 to $400 for a, a new one. I got one in good condition. It was a sharp brand and the the reason the guy was listing it so low, at least what I thought, is that he said the volume does not work on this TV. So I said, how about I just bring my soundbar and test it out, and if that works, then I'll take it. And he's like, all right, sure. I bring my soundbar, we test it out, works fine, and I bought it for 75 bucks, 55-inch, 4K smart TV. But I bring it home, and I plug that bad boy in, and I boot it up, and I fired it up. And I turn on the volume just to see if what he said is true. And the volume works. <laughs> and I was like, hold on a second. You're telling me I just got a perfectly good 55-inch 4K smart TV for 75 bucks? And I, I started getting confused upon why this guy thought the volume didn't work. I come back the next day. Sure enough, the volume does not work. And I get uh, a little confused the soundbar still works, though. And so I go look up on the internet. I do my debugging. You know, I'm a, I'm a data quality analyst. We got to go in. We got to troubleshoot. We got to do some uh, problem solving, do some research, figure out, get to the bottom of these problems, as I like to do. And I came across an article that had so many different recommendations. I have flipped around all the advanced settings and everything, tried everything under the sun, it seemed like. And... What seems to be working the best right now is just unplugging the TV for maybe five minutes and then coming back and plugging it in. And sure enough, the volume seems to work once I do that. It's like it just needs a little cool down to recover. But once you get the volume working for one session, as long as you don't turn the TV off, I believe you're good to go. So it's just a matter of unplugging it periodically and that's going to be my system going forward. We're going to see how long that puppy lasts. And, you know, I think that's a successful ball on a budget uh, update. I got to watch the uh, two of the four divisional NFL playoff games in 4K because YouTube TV offers the Fox broadcasts in 4K. I don't think the CBS ones are available or NBC. They're not available in 4K, but... Uh, YouTube TV is able to get Fox uh, NFL games in 4K, and I have a uh, Amazon Fire Stick 4K. So the 4K setup is officially underway. It is complete. We are enjoying our high-quality NFL football, as I should. And it's a good time had by all. We just got to figure out a way to uh, mount it right now because I have it sitting on the floor, but I believe my roommate has some sort of mount that we're going to be using here soon. So we're we're excited for that. One of the great budget purchases I've ever made in my life, and that's uh, that's saying something because man, I've I've had some doozies in my day. I've I've had some quality purchases, but this one's right up there with the best. So love to hear it. It's a good day to hop on Facebook Marketplace and start sniping away. And it's also a good day to take some questions from the audience. I gave you guys a question saying, what top five categories should I do? 
and you came back and told me what I should do. So thanks to you guys. You are driving the way for this episode. You're steering the ship, and we're going to jump right in here with some top five lists. We do have 16 of them to get through, so I'm going to have to not necessarily spend a whole lot of time on each one of them. I'm going to kind of keep the pace moving, but uh, I'm excited, man. Here we go. The first response I got was from my cousin Mary. Mary replied to my question, which was, what top five list should I do? And she replied saying, me. And I was confused because me is not really a, a valid answer to that question. So I replied saying, top five Mary moments of all time? And she said, yes. So Mary, if you're listening, we're about to count down the top five Mary moments of all time. Uh, there might be a little bit of a recency bias in here. Uh, my memories are not picture perfect with all my merry uh, moments. So these are mostly recent ones, but uh, let's get it started with number five. Number five was, I believe, 2021 in the fall when uh, you guys came over to my parents' new house and you were checking everything out and we were watching the football game. We went out in the backyard and for some reason... I sent Dylan to the front yard to throw the football over our house, and I was in the backyard and I was going to try to catch it. And I thought that Dylan would throw it over the house and it would like land on the backside of the roof and kind of trickle down and just barely make it over. But my man Dylan absolutely sent that thing, and I was recording the video of it while that was happening, and the football cleared the house by like 15 feet. And my reaction while recording was, Oh my God. <laughs> and you could see the football bounce around us and it became a, a running joke that every time something happened, Mary would be like, Oh my God. <laughs> so there you go. Number five, Mary making fun of my reaction. Coming in at number four for the top five Mary moments of all time. We have our rivalry playing bags. We play bags a ton at our family events. Usually it's me and Lisa versus Dylan and Mary. And Dylan and Mary are undefeated against me and Lisa, unfortunately. But they always seem like they're pretty close games. We just uh, can't close it out, out down the stretch. Lisa, we're going to get one of these eventually, I promise. But uh, yeah, those, those bag games, they go back and forth down to the wire. And let me just tell you right now, me and Lauren, when Lauren jumped in, and we played against you guys, we had no trouble beating you guys. So take that. Me and Lauren, 1-0 against you guys in bags. Reigning champs. Let's go. Number three. I think this is the same day as the number five, oh my god, uh, ranking. We were in our theater room watching The Office. And... <laughs> We watched like a couple, maybe two or three episodes of The Office, just hanging out in the theater room. And the, the I have a video of us when the theme song came on. And we were all like... <laughs> and singing along to The Office theme song. And then also on that same day, it was me and Genevieve stacking pillows on top of Mary's head while she was sleeping. And I think we got maybe four or five pillows stacked up on top of Mary. But then she decided to roll over and they all fell off. But classic memories, good times had by all. 
Gotta Love the Office. And that'll come in at number three. Number two. This is quite possibly on the same day. That was an eventful day, my goodness. When you guys were over at our house and we were hitting some golf balls in the backyard, I have a video of Mary swinging the golf club full speed. It barely ticks the very edge of the golf ball, and it lands on her foot. So she successfully hit the golf ball about five inches to the left, and it landed on her foot. And then you turned around and gave a little pose, and we were all just laughing. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was Mary, the athlete of the family, just putting on a display. So what more can you say? Number two, Mary, epic golf moment. Coming in at number one. The time this Christmas at the Cook Christmas Party where Mary perfectly recited the entire song of Rattlin' Bog. Um, it's a song where you have a simple chorus and then they go back and add on a line to that and extend it a little longer. Then you go back and add on another thing and it's like, oh, the thing and the thing and this on the that and, the, 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 and you just have to like keep saying all these lines and mary had the entire thing memorized it was incredible to watch that was insane shout out to mary rattling bog champion undefeated never lost thank you mary hopefully you enjoyed those moments we're gonna move on we got <laughs> we got a lot to get through let's do it next top five is what top five defensive players in the NFL would I choose to start my franchise with right now? This one is a great question. I had to consider the age for some of these guys, so keep that in mind. Coming in at number five, I chose the linebacker Fred Warner from the San Francisco 49ers. This guy is a beast. He can be described as a safety who just happens to be 230 pounds. He can move with receivers. He can hit running backs. He can fly around the field. And I don't exactly know his age, but I'm pretty sure he's young-ish. So Fred Warner, he's going to be your Mike linebacker. He's going to be the signal caller, the, the man in the middle. Number five, I'm happy with that choice. Number four. Yeah, he's got a lot of miles on him these days, but he's still getting it done at a high level. One of the best at, to ever do it at this position, Aaron Donald. This man is built different. There's a video of him training with knives. I don't know if they're real knives. I don't know what uh, the situation around that was, but he's just unreal. His body is like perfectly designed to be a defensive tackle and he gets as many sacks and pressures and as much production as an edge defender while he's rushing up the middle which is absolutely insane aaron donald beast number three nick bosa the smaller bear as his uh, social media handle would tell you uh, the younger brother of chargers legend joey bosa nick bosa is younger than Joey and right now playing at a much higher level. He's leading the NFL in sacks this year, and he is a wrecking ball coming off the edge. Would not want to block that guy. Do not envy 
the tackles that have to go up against him. He can absolutely wreck a game, and we've seen him do it so many times. Nick Bosa, number three. Number two. From the Dallas Cowboys, Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons, very young player, very talented edge rusher. He can even be considered a linebacker at some times with how fast he is. You can play him at outside linebacker. You can play him as a true defensive end. He just makes plays. He's in the backfield all day. He's sideline to sideline, roaming, and <laughs> this guy is going to find you. If you have the football, you better look out because my man is closing in hot. That brings me to number one, T.J. Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The only thing you can really say on the negative side with him is uh, his injury history, which is a sign of concern. He has battled some injuries, but when he's available, T.J. Watt is unbelievable. He has the sack production and potential coming off the edge of Nick Bosa and Micah Parsons, and he's also snagged some interceptions too. He is just one of the most incredible edge defenders we've seen. Obviously, in the family, you have J.J. Watt. He comes from a very... uh, athletic and productive family you also have chris watt playing fullback used to be on the chargers shout out chris watt the forgotten watt brother tj watt can get it done at any position on the defensive line or as a linebacker he can pick off balls he can sack the quarterback stop the run shut everything down he's super young as well it was a tough decision choosing between him and micah and nick but uh I got T.J. Watt number one right now, so there you go. Let's move on to the next list. Top five songs I'm listening to right now. And I want you guys to know before I get into this, I, uh, I'm, not a, I'm not your typical music listener. I don't uh, much go for the, uh, the new music, what's coming out these days. And unless, of course, it's a T-Swift album or it's a Post Malone album or some of the few artists that I enjoy these days, but I'm a, I'm a little bit of a nostalgic guy. I'm a little bit of a older music type of guy. And that's elevated in recent years, thanks to Stranger Things. If you guys have ever watched Stranger Things, it's a Netflix series that's based in the 1980s. And the music reflects the fact that it's based in the 1980s and they have some absolute bangers of songs in the 1980s and in the Netflix series Stranger Things. Uh, Running Up That Hill is not on the list but it's an example of some of the songs that are on there. Um, A few other legendary 80s songs included. It just it put me down a rabbit hole of 80s and maybe even a little bit of 90s music. And that's what I've been vibing with lately. So uh, that's what I'm going to be sharing with you guys. Coming in at number five. The song called West End Girls by the Pet Shop Boys. It's a banger. It's a great song. Uh, I do enjoy listening to it at work. Uh, sometimes when I'm working out, it'll come on and I'll accept it, but it's more of a, it's more of a just laid back type of song. So 
It's just good vibes all around. And that's why it lands at number five. Number four. This one's called I Ran, parentheses, So Far Away, by A Flock of Seagulls. This one has a really cool opening and just, uh, I believe it's guitar that it uh, has that opening sound. And then it just continues throughout with some solid vibes. And you just you just feel like you're having a good time when you listen to it. So uh, I ran so far away. If you ever are in the mood to run very far away, I recommend that song. Even if you're planning on being stationary, great listen. Number three. I have actually been listening to Pearl Jam for a good while. And uh, part of that is due to my dad, who is uh, always putting on some Pearl Jam every now and then. But the the two songs I had listened to Pearl Jam the most would be Even Flow and Alive. But recently, I've been listening to the song called Black by Pearl Jam. And it's another one of those songs where they have this... Uh, they have this little guitar that comes in and they just have this rhythm that they got going in black, the song. And let me tell you, it just, this is the song that makes me want to get up out of bed and start cleaning my room and start taking care of business, man. I, I get up and I start doing things when I hear this song. And I'm glad that it has that effect on me because that's the kind of motivation I need these days. So black Pearl Jam coming in at three. Number two. Do you come from a land down under? (laughs) That is the song Down Under by Men at Work. I have been on an absolute binge of listening to Men at Work songs. They have some bangers. All they have is bangers, in fact. They don't just have some bangers. The only thing they do is bangers. Excellent songs all across the board, but their signature single would be Down Under. It's It could be, quite honestly, the Australia National Anthem. <laughs> and if you want to talk about good vibes, this song is leading the way in the good vibes category. Give it a listen. Go look up Men at Work, and you will not regret it. Down Under at number two. Number one, top five songs I'm listening to right now. This one is different than all the others. This one actually came out pretty recently, I think, maybe 2020, if I had to guess. And the reason I found this is because I was looking up in Spotify. um, I was looking up like rave instrumental music just because I want something to listen to while I'm at work when I don't have to listen to words. It's just like beats and instrumentals only. So I found this song called Blaze Extended. And I think the original song is just called Blaze, but this is the extended version. It's by Booka Shade and Jan Blomquist. Uh, I do not know either one of those people at all, but the song Blaze Extended is insane. The beat is legendary. It's, I mean, you want to talk about songs that'll get you up on your feet and moving around. This thing does work. Blaze Extended. I might have to include a little snippet here of the song uh, if this podcast will allow me to. I'm going to try to include a little snippet of it just to let you guys know the vibes that we're working with here. Let's uh, go ahead and take a listen here.
I mean, that's just a masterpiece, if you ask me. So, Blaze Extended by Book of Shade and Jan Blomquivist. At number one, songs I'm listening to right now. Not number one all time, but if you're, tell- if you're talking right now, that's what I'm going to tell you. All right, next list. We got to keep this puppy moving here. Top five burrito places. I don't think I can confidently say that I've been to five burrito places or, and actually had a burrito at those five places, but I'm going to do the best based on the information that I have to give you guys a list that I can come up with here. Number five, Taco Bell. And you know what? I'm going to come out and say it right now. I don't think I've ever had a burrito at Taco Bell, but back in the day, Taco Bell had these things called cinnamon twists. I don't know if they still have them. Straight fire, man. Straight fire. They knew what they were doing there, and those things were heat. (laughs) Uh, Not exactly the healthiest move in the world, but as a kid growing up, like that had to be one of the top options. Taco Bell. Probably has some good burritos. I've seen commercials for like Quesarito or Burrito Box or something like that, some promotional stuff, but um, that's kind of a weak selection maybe if I've never actually had it, but uh, that's that's what I would put just out of pure instinct, I guess. Number four, Casa Las Glorias in Cedar Rapids. They were a sponsor of the Kennedy men's basketball program. They made it on the poster there at the bottom, and we would go there once a year as a basketball team. And let me tell you, they had some great food. I believe I did have a burrito at one point, and it was very solid. Not exactly top tier, but it was good. It was good, and we had a good time at those uh, basketball meals. So... In terms of experience, I would enjoy this one very much. Casa Las Glorias at number four. Number three, a place that I've never been to. (laughs) So I can't really speak from experience here, but uh, depending on who you ask, this could be number one, depending on where the person is from. Uh, That would be Chipotle. I've heard great things from Chipotle. Um, I've also heard Iowa people tell me that Chipotle is worthless and deserves to be abolished from existence. So uh, really hit or miss here. Uh, I think maybe the people down south would uh, be more of the Chipotle crowd, uh, not really a Midwest thing, or at least not the number one Midwest thing, if you're asking me. But Chipotle seems quality from what I've heard, <laughs> if you're asking some, certain people. But uh, there you go, Chipotle number three. Number two. This might be an upset for some people. It's going to be Poncheros. (laughs) Poncheros at number two doesn't make it to number one, and there's a great reason for that. Ponch at number two, probably the most burritos I've ever had have been from Ponch. Out of all the places on here, I've been to Ponch the most. Um, All I can say is that (laughs) they're consistently solid and very good. The employees, though, the employees generally do not care very much um, from my experiences at least uh the Iowa City downtown one i've seen some uh i've seen some interesting <laughs> occurrences go on i think there's been a news article 
came out about some like fight going on at Poncheros and it just seems like there's always some interesting employees there. And if you're listening and you're you've been a Poncheros employee, I'm not I'm not trashing on you hopefully. But let me just say the burritos are consistently some of the best. The fact that they have the bob tool where they mix together everything at the end is probably the best feature of Poncheros. I think they have good guac, but it pains me to pay a dollar extra. I think that their thing that they flatten the dough with is really cool to watch. So Poncheros, quality, number two. Number one. Guys, number one, you know, you already know what we're doing here. Estella's. Come on, bro. Estella's. They have a location in Iowa City. They have a location in North Liberty, Coralville. I don't know if there's a ton of other locations, but if you come to Iowa City, you better get into Estella's. And they have good selection. They do have some good burritos across the board. I've had a few of them. But there's one certain order that I time and time again come back to, and that is the buff. I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast before. Hopefully I have. Otherwise, what a shame. But the buff is pretty much egg, sausage, bacon, cheese, lettuce, all enclosed in a pancake. You pour some syrup on that pancake, and then that is all enclosed in a burrito. So you are eating a breakfast omelet, pretty much, that has been eaten by a pancake that has been eaten by a burrito. And it's just so many layers going on, and it's so much action, but the taste and the flavor are just sensational. And let me just tell you the size of these things are far and away larger than Poncheros. They say Poncheros, one is a snack, two is a meal. You get on over to Estella's, one of these bad boys is a meal, and you're going to be done for a couple hours after that thing, so... Estella's number one, rightfully so. Moving on. Top five Hawkeye moments. Top five Hawkeye moments. I'm considering this to be uh, in athletics. So best moments from any sport. Uh, We're going to have to start this one off with an honorable mention. And this honorable mention is the 2015 football season in which we went undefeated 12-0 regular season. Uh, you guys all know that that ended pretty uh, terribly with the the two postseason games, but uh, that undefeated 2015 football team was legendary. So much fun to watch, and so many great players and memories from that season. We will never forget C.J. Beathard, George Kittle, Akram Wadley, Josie Jewell, Desmond King. I mean, come on now. That was a squad Number five, this one outdates me, but it's Iowa basketball reaching the final four in 1980 after we had a comeback win versus Georgetown. I believe it was a man by the name Ronnie Lester that helped the Hawks in 1980 make it all the way to the final four, and we lost to a team that I believe was Louisville, who eventually became the champion, so... Quality loss there. 
made it to the Final Four in basketball, something we've never done in my lifetime, and we may not end up doing it again in my lifetime. But in 1980, those boys knew what they were doing, and they went on a deep March Madness run. Mad respect. Number four. Ricky Stanzi leads Iowa to an Orange Bowl win versus Georgia Tech, and in the post-game interview, he says, USA, number one, love it or leave it. That's right, boys. Ricky Stanzi, the American hero. He was the, the man when I was growing up. Probably my favorite quarterback of my lifetime at Iowa. I mean, he could do no wrong. He was walking on water that 2009 season. Uh, we, we won the Orange Bowl, probably the best bowl win in, uh, in my lifetime. And that 2009 team started out 9-0. and Stanzi went down. We lost to Northwestern. We lost to Ohio State barely. And then uh, we came back and won. So I believe in games that Stanzi completed that year, he was undefeated. Gotta love some good Ricky Stanzi. Uh, USA, love it or leave it. That's all I'm going to say. Number three. Warren Holloway. Last second touchdown versus LSU to win the Capital One Bowl against Nick Saban coaching LSU at the time. This is the earliest Hawkeye football memory I ever had. And I believe I mentioned that before. Warren Holloway, pretty much an unknown receiver making a great catch, Drew Tate with the Hail Mary. Somehow he was open, somehow they connected, and everybody was jumping up and down, cheering. Last-second touchdown in a bowl game for the win against LSU, coached by Nick Saban. Hard to top that. Number two. I don't know if you can consider this a moment, but I feel like it deserves to be recognized. Iowa Wrestling won nine straight Division One championships. Yes, that's right. Nine years in a row. You guys remember the meme of LeBron saying, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. That was literally the Iowa wrestling team. We won the national championship for D1 wrestling in 1978, 1979, 1980, 81, 82, 83, 84, 85, 86. Are you kidding me, man? That is so dominant. That is unbelievable. And I... I just don't understand how that's possible for one college to have such a factory of wrestling talent and skill and coaching. And just that's just what Iowa's about, man. At the end of the day, we're a wrestling school and wrestling had to make it on the list. So shout out to the boys wrestling for Iowa. Nine straight championships back in the day. Crazy. Number one, the top Hawkeye moment ever has to be, in my opinion, in 1939 when good old Niall Kinnick was playing with the Iron Men. They called the team the Iron Men because they played so many positions. They played so many downs and they had a limited roster, but the guys they did have were incredibly good. One of them happened to be the best college football player in the entire country. 
Iowa has only had that one time. We only have one Heisman winner, Niall Kinnick in 1939. And then not only did he go out and dominate and play every position known to man, but then when he won the Heisman, he gave one of the most intelligent and respectful and cerebral speeches that we have ever heard. This man was a true intellectual. He was a scholar, and his wisdom was just incredible for a man of that age. He talked about global affairs and war and just like political issues and things that are bigger than football. And he thanks God that he was born on the gridirons of the Midwest and not on the battlefields of Europe. And you know how legendary that moment is? You know it's incredible because before every Iowa football game, we play that Heisman speech right beside playing the national anthem. We do the excerpt from Nile, and then we lead it right in to the, to the national anthem. So that's the kind of impact and effect that Nile had, and that's the kind of level that we put him on. So top Hawkeye moment of all time, Niall Kinnick Heisman, coupled with his speech that was just incredible. All right, we still have a bunch of lists to go, and this one's going to probably be a long episode, so let's keep the train moving. Top five Hawkeye athletes of all time. There's a lot of different ways you can look at this, but I think the approach I took is just the best at what they do, not necessarily like the most athletic or freaky athletic athlete, but just like who at their respective sport or position dominated do into their respective era and in their situation. And believe it or not, at number five right away, I have Caitlin Clark. I think when it's all said and done for her college career, she's going to go down as without a doubt the best women's basketball player in Iowa history. She's broken probably every record we've ever had, and she's on pace to set NCAA records and just blow everybody out of the water. Caitlin Clark is insanely good. She is legendary. She's got the high V deal. She's got the Nike deal. She's got some NIL money in the works. And I think that she's going to hang around in Iowa City as long as she can and most likely head over to the WNBA when her time comes. Caitlin Clark, what a legend. Number five. Number four, Luca Garza. This guy, Luca Garza, was unstoppable his last couple of years. Early on, you could tell he was going to be a big impact player. He wasn't quite on the level as his later years, but when, I mean, you just talk about a guy that isn't exactly a gifted athletic specimen, but the work that he put in and the amount of skill he had, the touch around the basket, the touch from the outside the post moves, the technique, the skills. He was the whole package down in the post and out on the perimeter. There's a reason we have number 55 up in the rafters. There's a banner hanging with his last name on it because Luca Garza is probably the best men's basketball player to come through, I would argue, of all time. 
Number three. It might be recency bias for me to say this, but I'm going Spencer Lee. I'm going Spencer Lee. I think that he has been the most dominant Iowa wrestler in recent history, if not ever. I think he's won the national championship at his weight class pretty much every year that he's qualified. He might be five foot three. He might be 125 pounds, but do not mistake his size for his intensity and his ferocity. This man just pinned the number three wrestler at his weight class in the entire country in 38 seconds. That means the <laughs> the person that is number three in the world is simply years and light years and miles away from the number one person in the world, which is Spencer Lee. He has some legendary quotes after uh, tearing his ACLs or tearing his meniscus or whatever he did and ended up still winning everything. So Spencer Lee, absolute dog. Number three. Number two, Chuck Long. And uh, before you guys get after me, let me just say Chuck Long led the Iowa Hawkeyes to a number one ranking in the entire country which is something that I don't think we've had in my life. And then once Iowa was number one, we played against number two, Michigan, and we beat them. So not only did he get us to number one, but he led the Hawks past the number two team and solidified our status as number one team in the country. That 1985 team was insanely good. Ended up losing in the Rose Bowl, I believe, that year, but... It was uh, Chuck Long finishing number two in Heisman voting that year. You want to know who came in number one? Bo Jackson. (laughs) Uh, Probably the greatest athletic specimen of all time. So I think that's an understandable uh, loss in the Heisman voting for Chuck Long. If he was up for it any other year, he probably would have won, but that was the year that Bo Jackson decided to do his thing. So, understandable. Number one. You guys already know, it's Niall Kinnick, the number one Hawkeye football player of all time. He's the only Hawkeye football player that was named the best football player in the country, which is the Heisman Award. 1939, my man played every position you could name. And he did it well at all levels. He was an intellectual as well, on and off the field. And he gave his life fighting for his country. Even though that doesn't really factor into the best football player of all time, uh, his resume speaks for itself. And if you think that Niall Kinnick is not the best Iowa athlete of all time, because you're thinking of it in terms of just like pure athletic ability, I understand the argument there. But what I'm saying is Niall Kinnick, respective to the athletes of 1939, how did he do in his day? And how he did in his day, he was the best. And Iowa has not had a Heisman since then. So there you go. Moving on. We got top five movies as our next question. And a little precursor here as well. Similar to music, I might not be the most cultured movie watcher there has ever been. Uh, People always roast me for not seeing movies. 
you haven't seen that movie, bro? That I get told that probably twice a day, every day of my life. You haven't seen that movie? No, I have not seen that movie. If you name a movie right now, there's a 90% chance that I've never seen it. I have not seen very many movies. So uh, I just uh, want to put that out there. But the ones that I have seen, I'll do some ranking on those. Number five. This is a classic, in my opinion. School of Rock. It was Jack Black, and it was Miranda Cosgrove in this movie. Uh, they got this school that's uh, playing instruments. It's supposed to be some like private preppy school, and Jack Black comes in, and he's just kind of disorganized and does whatever he feels like in the moment and starts teaching these kids about music and how to rock, and... Uh, they enter some contest and ended up winning it, and it was just a great time had by all. A lot of classic quotes in that movie, and Jack Black is a legend, so School of Rock, number five. Number four, we have The Incredibles. That's right. Probably my favorite movie growing up as a kid. So many legendary moments. Edna Mode. You have Jack-Jack. You have Dash who is speeding around his classroom, setting tacks on his teacher's chair. I mean, Mr. Incredible, Frozone, Honey, where is my super suit? Are you kidding me right now? Incredibles number four, argue a wall. Number three, The Social Network. I love Jesse Eisenberg as an actor. He fits the role of nerd so perfectly with the way he talks. He just has these little mannerisms that make him the perfect Mark Zuckerberg. And you have the Winklevoss twins that are just like super yoked and identical and they're on the rowing team. And you have Eduardo who has played very well. And uh, you have, I believe it was Justin Timberlake playing as Sean Parker and the dynamic between... Sean Parker and Eduardo Saverin is just so cool to watch. It's so funny. And there's some classic moments in there. One of my favorites is when they're having the coding, hacking, whatever competition to see who can get into Facebook. And these guys are just like going away, going to town, coding and hacking into some system in front of a crowd. And one of them finishes and Zuckerberg goes over and looks at him and he's like, Welcome to Facebook. <laughs> he says it so fast. And it's just the perfect nerd voice and mannerism. And that movie was ahead of its time. And Social Network, such a great story. I love that movie. Number three. Number two. Perhaps my favorite actor of all time slash comedian has to be Chris Farley. Even though he died before I was born, just the moments that he's had... Uh, my family absolutely loves watching Chris Farley moments, and uh, that's gonna that's gonna put uh, Beverly Hills Ninja the movie at number two. It is Chris Farley trying to become the Great White Ninja, and <laughs> all of his movements and uh, mannerisms, and the way that he is so overweight yet so graceful on his feet. It's just hilarious. He gets himself into so many sticky situations. 
He's running away from people, like throwing down obstacles in his path to buy more time. It's just hilarious. Chris Farley's The Goat. That's my number two movie. Number one. For me, it has to be Ace Ventura, Pet Detective. Jim Carrey, back in the day, you can't beat it. I mean, every single thing that Jim Carrey did in that movie was hilarious. The amount of physical comedy that he's able to get across with all of his hand motions and facial expressions. (laughs) And it just makes me crack up thinking about Jim Carrey in that movie. When when he's delivering that package in the opening scene, <laughs> it's just there's only one person on the planet that can do that, and that's Jim Carrey. So, Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, my number one movie. Let's move on. This one's gonna be a little bit quicker, thankfully, although it is a great question. Top five Halloween candies. An excellent topic, and it brings back a lot of childhood memories. I loved my neighborhood growing up. We had so many kids my age and slightly different than my age, a little bit older, a little bit younger. The neighborhood would be packed back in the day with trick-or-treaters, so good times. Number five. I'm putting at number five Crunch, the chocolate bar Crunch. It had the blue wrapper with a red text. It was always a reliable option. I mean, it was chocolate, but it had a little, obviously it's in the name, it had a little crunch to it. And just that combination, it's just a subtle change from the regular chocolate that gives it a little oomph, and it was always a reliable option. If I saw Crunch, I was taking it. That's why it lands at number five. Number four. This one is a very polarizing option. You either love it or you hate it. It's got to be, for me, Almond Joy. Almond Joy, you get your little uh, coconut type of flavor with it. You get a little nut in there, and you also get some chocolate. It was a great combination, in my opinion. It's uh, different than some of the traditional chocolates, and it it still does a great job. It it gets the job done, and that's all you can ask for. So, gotta love Almond Joy. It comes in at number four. Number three, your classic, traditional Hershey's bar. Hard to beat Hershey's chocolate. It's probably the standard of chocolate bars. It is the the bar to beat. It is the line. It is the trendsetter. It's the OG. Hershey's, I believe, originated from Hershey, Pennsylvania. Classic flavor. And it's simple and it's awesome. And I feel like I should go get one right now. Hershey's, number three. Number two. Second best Halloween candy for me is Snickers. Classic taste. You get your caramely taste in there. You get a little nut taste in there. And it's still great chocolate. It's a little bit chewy, but it's also that classic chocolate taste. It just seems to vibe. The the flavors all mesh together. And the consistency is just right at that nice little point there. So Snickers, absolutely love them. I'll take them all day long at number two. Number one. Come on. (laughs) Come on. What do you think number one is? It's got to be Reese's. Reese's peanut butter cups. Reese's puffs. Reese's puffs. Nope, not Reese's puffs. But the peanut butter chocolate flavor 
from Reese's is just unbeatable. It's the classic. I believe it's the world-renowned number one. If you ask many people, I assume they would have that as number one. Peanut butter and chocolate is such a legendary combo. And Reese's does it better than anyone else, so they deserve that spot at number one. Moving on, although we are staying in the food category, top five dining hall meals. I feel like I could do a whole episode on University of Iowa food, but uh, we'll save that for another day. We're going to start with an honorable mention for top five dining hall meals. Honorable mention goes to Catlet French Toast Sticks. And I I will say that these things were legendary, but my one gripe with them is that they did not have them very frequently. The scheduling was very inconsistent. And even when they did have them, they would go quick. So the availability factor there kind of hurts their positioning. They're not quite as reliably available as some of the others on here. But when you get your hands on some of those Catlet French toast sticks and you get a little uh, cup of syrup with them, you know it's going to be a good day. You know it's you know you're going to have a good time. I had a unbelievable amount of those in one sitting, and uh, I was not ashamed of it. Catlet French toast sticks, honorable mention. Number five. I don't know if you can consider this a meal, but I'm doing it anyways. Hillcrest Ice Cream Station. This one has stood the test of time, unlike any other item on this list, and that's because the Hillcrest Ice Cream Station I first had when I was a youngin. When I was a elementary school kid, I would come down to the University of Iowa kids basketball camp, and they would have us stay at Hillcrest in the dorms, and we got to eat at the food court. And you already know I was having my ice cream station from Hillcrest. You load that bad boy up with some chocolate ice cream, throw on some Reese's, throw on some Oreos, throw on some caramel topping hot fudge. Oh, boys. You put on some pounds, let me tell you. But then you go work it off because you're at a basketball camp and you're you're running around constantly. So it all evens out at the end. Number five, Hillcrest Ice Cream Station. Number four. Top five dining hall meals, number four, Catlet Burger Station with curly fries. If it wasn't a curly fry day, this ranking does go down a little bit. But when you saw the curly fries over there, you decide to get a burger along with them. You throw some bacon on the burger, you get a pretzel bun, and you get your curly fries. Woo-wee! <laughs> I would pay a lot of money to go back and have that meal. The combination of pretzel bun with bacon burger by itself is just legendary. But those curly fries, man, they were curly and they were fries and they had the perfect taste. And they just supplement the bacon burger with the pretzel bun so well. And it was just, it was Jordan and Pippin. It was just an unbelievable combination, undefeated. Those things were the goat. But... Metaphorically, of course, because they they are at number four on the list, so they can't be the GOAT, but I mean, come on. It's hard to beat that. Speaking of beating that, let's go to number three. The Catlet Omelet Station. That's right, Catlet did have a make-your-own burger station and a make-your-own omelet station. 
I was living large freshman year. Yes, I was. There's no mistake as to why I gained the freshman 15 in my first semester. Uh, That's because I lived at Catlett with the unlimited plan. And I took good advantage of it with these omelets. You pretty much just head up there and say, yo, I'll take an omelet. And this is what I want on it. I'll take some spinach. I'll take some lettuce. I'll take some bacon. I'll take some ham, sausage. And they, they load that bad boy up. There would be quite a line, but uh, understandably so. These omelets would hit the spot, and they'd keep you fueled up all day. And I miss them, and we got to go back and get some sometime. That's number three. Number two. The Burge waffle irons with the Tiger Hawk logo imprinted in them. These things were reliably excellent. You get your pancake mix filled up to the top of the cup, and you distribute that bad boy evenly across the waffle iron, press the thingy down, twist it over, and the timer starts. And as this timer starts is when you go get a drink and you go set your bag down next to a table, you claim your territory, you start scouting out the toppings for your waffle, and by the time you work your way back around, the timer's almost done, you collect your waffle and you head over to the topping station, and you're going to throw on some strawberries And if they had them, I would throw on some blueberries as well. I think the strawberries are more regularly available, but the blueberries would also hit pretty pretty hard with those. And then obviously you're going to get your syrup on there. Sometimes a little whipped cream if you're feeling uh, zesty that day. But uh, yeah, you had a waffle that had the Tiger Hawk logo imprinted on it. I would get these on football game day and I would post a picture to my Snapchat story saying game day waffle and the Hawks would win whenever I had that waffle most of the time and life was good. That was how I spent my 2018 and I enjoyed it very much. And that leaves us with only one item remaining and it is the item that surpasses all other dining hall and food items and People might not know about these, but I really hope that they still have them. The Catlett Grasshopper Brownies. Catlett had, from time to time, some brownies that they called Grasshopper Brownies. It was like chocolate with dark chocolate fudge in the middle with mint chocolate chips on top and like mint flavoring within the brownie these things were unreal the combination of chocolate and mint is often found in girl scout cookies like a thin mint uh variety but that type of flavor combination inserted into a brownie was something that i had never witnessed before and it was eye-opening for me and i let me tell you I did have an unhealthy amount of those things, but uh, I don't regret anything, and I would do it all over again. I might have to make it over to Catlett and spend my 10 bucks as a non-student to get in there, or if there's any Iowa students that could guest swipe me in, uh, please hit me up. I would happily take you up on that offer. But these grasshopper brownies hit the spot every time. I... I get flashbacks thinking about how good those things are. Grasshopper brownies have to take it for me, number one. 
let's head over to another food uh, situation here. Top five flex meals. And I'm going to interpret this question as flex meal locations. And I'll kind of give a quick rundown of the food I had at each spot. So number five, I'm going to say main library. Uh, main library, pretty common spot for students to go. Uh, the flex meal station there was pretty good. I think I had a sub sandwich there usually with a couple other sides. Didn't have it a whole lot, but I think it was a good location, and that's why it lands at number five. Number four, we have Pat's Diner inside of Tippy. I think Pat's Diner had some unique options depending on the day of the week. I might have had like a pulled pork sandwich or some sort of like beef beef on a bun or something there one time. But yeah, those were some unique food items rather than some of the cookie cutter uh, flex meal options. So I appreciate Tippy for kind of branching out there. Pat's Diner, number four. Number three, we have the Hillcrest Market little shop thing. It's kind of like a gas station type of setup. Um, you go in there, you can grab a sub sandwich, maybe a yogurt or a few other things. Didn't get over there quite as much because I lived on the east side, but Hillcrest Shop is another classic that I remember from my days at the Iowa basketball kids camp. So I have to put it on there for the memories. Number three, Hillcrest little shop type thing. Number two, the Burge little shop thing. Marketplace Diddy. Uh, is a little gas station type setup, just like Hillcrest, except it was a lot closer to me, so I went there a lot more often. And I remember specifically using the rest of my flex meals when I needed to hit the limit. I would bring a drawstring bag over, and they would limit you to five flex meals per day. So I would load up my bag with five flex meals all in one. And my usual rotation would be getting a sub sandwich, getting some yogurt, and a little milk uh, container, and then... I think you could get like a little pack of uh, Nutter Butter things, like a bite-sized Nutter Butter packet, and those things would go hard with the milk, and then you have the yogurt with a sub sandwich and some mayo in there. Whoo-wee! Great days were had. Great times. We stocked up. <laughs> and let me tell you, I think this is an accomplishment worth noting. As a freshman, I used up every single flex meal in my meal plan, which is kind of hard to do because they give you so many when you had the gold plan like I did. I think it's like 75 on top of your dining hall meals. But my brother did a great job of coaching me up, getting me in there, and making use of all the food options we had. So shout out. Number one, the best flex meal spot on Iowa's campus. It's really not close. It's the Union Station, which is the bottom floor of IMU, right across from the Hawk Shop. You would go in there, and they would have these chicken sandwiches that were ready to go. And we literally had a routine set up where me, my brother, and Jonah, who's my college freshman uh, freshman year of college roommate, we would meet up when we had time in our schedule. I think this is mostly second semester, if I remember correctly. Meet up at the Union Station maybe twice a week, grab our chicken sandwiches, sit down, and just talk about life. And it was amazing. Just that stability that we had. We'd always check in and have some great food and talk about what's going on. And it was just one of the best routines that I've ever had. And I miss it. So, boys, if you're ever back in town in Iowa City or the surrounding area, we got to hit up Union Station and chop it up like old times. 
Let's keep this puppy moving. Now we're heading over to an interesting idea. Top five country tourism slogans. You know, like uh, these countries have slogans to try to attract visitors and like, come experience our nature. We're so friendly or stuff like that is their slogan. And there's some really funny ones on here that I'm going to list for you guys. First one is honorable mention. It's Tunisia. So Tunisia's slogan is, I feel like Tunisia. (laughs) What does that even mean? I feel like Tunisia. You feel like going to Tunisia? Maybe that would be reasonable, but I feel like Tunisia. I don't think I can ever say that I've felt like Tunisia, but now that that slogan has been uh, presented to me, maybe I am going to start feeling like Tunisia one of these days. Honorable mention, shout out to Tunisia. Number five, a country called Montserrat, which I didn't know existed. I think it's a small island in the Caribbean area, maybe. Montserrat, their slogan is, come, we have time for you. Wow. Very welcoming. And it makes me feel important because they have time for me. They're going to take the time out of their day to accompany me on my vacation to Montserrat. So it's very uh, approachable. It makes me feel welcome. They have time for me. You're going to get a good experience when you go to Montserrat if this slogan lives up to how they do it there. So I like that one. Number five. Number four. This is the country Jordan, and their slogan is, Yes, it's Jordan. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, of course it's Jordan, because it says Jordan. (laughs) I didn't think you had to confirm that for me, but thanks. Uh, Thank you, Jordan, for confirming that it is Jordan. Um, I don't really know what they're going for there. Are, Are they under the impression that we're so shocked about how great it is that we don't actually think it's Jordan, and they're confirming, yes, it is Jordan. Maybe that's the case, but it made me laugh, so it gets a number four spot. Number three, Austria, with one of the most clever ones on here. Arrive and revive. Wow, I I, I need to do some reviving after I arrive right now. Let me tell you, Austria, you guys know what you're doing in the slogan department. You get there and you start recovering, and you start hanging out, and just letting go, and it's just good times in Austria, if the slogan holds true, you get there, and you just start doing your thing, so shout out to Austria, arrive and revive. Number two, Slovakia, their slogan is, travel in Slovakia, good idea, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) all right, dude, Traveling in Slovakia, apparently it's a good idea. They're they're telling us straight up. There's no uh, hidden metaphors. There's no meanings reading between the lines. They're just saying, hey, come travel to Slovakia. That would be a good idea. And it's very wholesome and it's straightforward. So you got to love that. That's why it gets number two. Number one, in my opinion, the number one country tourism slogan is... Hungary, and their slogan is, wow, Hungary. (laughs) Oh, man. All they did was put wow next to their country name. But it really, it's the cherry on top, if you ask me. 
is just, wow, hungry. Like you don't have to ask any questions. You know that it's just going to, it's going to be a wow experience when you go there and hopefully wow in a good way because they didn't specify that. But I think that hungry, they kept it simple and they got a laugh out of me. And at the same time, they made their country enticing. So all around hungry gets the crown on that one. Great idea too. Top, top five uh, country tourism slogans. You don't really uh, hear much about that. So shout out. Moving on. Top five college basketball players of all time from in-state schools. And the way I'm doing this is basketball players that went to high school in Iowa. So they're not necessarily that they played college basketball in Iowa, but they went to high school there. If that's not the way I'm supposed to be uh, approaching this, then please let me know because I will uh, make another list to revise it with the way that this was intended, but that's how I'm going. Number five, we have Kirk Heinrich. Some of you guys might know him from his days on the Chicago Bulls. He grew up in Sioux City, and he went to Sioux City West High School, and he averaged uh, 15 points a game, if I had to guess. Pretty solid player all throughout high school. Ended up going to Kansas, where he reached the Final Four twice. So, I mean, Kirk Heinrich... Two Final Fours from a player from an Iowa high school. That's pretty solid. That's a lot. A lot more than Iowa has done. So shout out Kirk Heinrich. Moving on. Number four. Killa Kyle Korver. Kyle Korver, a sharpshooter, another three-point shooter on here. He went to Pella High School. I didn't actually know that until now. He averaged about 17 points per game playing at Creighton. Creighton Blue Jays, and he was one of the main contributors on that team. Ended up getting drafted, I believe, in the first round of the NBA draft. And in his career, made it to two NBA finals. One of them was with the Cavs and the LeBron teams during those years. And I think the other one was with the... mm, Was it the Bucks? I don't know exactly, but... I believe he's been to two NBA Finals. Kyle Korver, great shooter, Pella High School, number four. Number three, Marcus Page, who went to Linmar High School. I remember him getting a four-point play against Kennedy one time, which ended up helping Linmar come back and beat Kennedy, and that frustrated me a lot. This guy was insane. If you guys remember the college championship game, where he had that acrobatic three-pointer to tie the game. His legs were clutched up into his stomach, and he was bending sideways and just kind of hucked it up there, ended up making the shot. Unfortunately, uh, it was Villanova that came back down. I believe it was a guy by the name Chris Jenkins who caught the ball, shot the three, hit the shot, buzzer beater, 2016 college basketball championship game, one of the best finishes in modern history. But Marcus Page was a straight-up killer, and he played at North Carolina and uh, had a short career in the NBA. I believe he's playing overseas. Number three, Marcus Page. Number two, Harrison Barnes. (laughs) I got to break out the deep voice for Harrison Barnes. Uh, He went to Ames High School, and I believe he won 
the high school state championship alongside Doug McDermott for Ames. So those guys were a powerhouse back in the day. I think he averaged about 17 points per game at North Carolina when he played there. Ended up going early to the NBA draft where he would join the Golden State Warriors and won the NBA Finals with the Warriors. Harrison Barnes, insanely good player. Had some time on the Dallas Mavericks as well. I actually got to see him play when I went to some Mavericks games in 2018. Shout out to Harrison Barnes, Ames High School represent, coming in at number two. Number one. This guy is one of the great late bloomer stories of all time. Keegan Murray. He was a late bloomer because uh, in his senior year of high school, he was playing at Prairie, losing to Kennedy. And uh, let me just tell you a little secret. My Kennedy senior year, we didn't exactly have the best team, but uh, Jackson Foley was able to dribble around for maybe two minutes (laughs) and one possession and ended up getting fouled and hitting some clutch free throws, and we beat the Murray brothers at Prairie my senior year. So... Keegan Murray, since then, uh, went to a training academy in Florida and then came back to Iowa and had a solid freshman year behind Garza. Then when he got the driver's seat, he went crazy. Uh, He was the consensus All-American selection. He was the Big Ten champion with the Iowa Hawkeyes who won the Big Ten championship. He was the Big Ten tournament MVP, averaged 23.5 points per game, and was selected number four overall by the Sacramento Kings. This dude is a beast. He's so smooth with the ball. He's a nice shooter on the outside. He's a great athlete, finisher inside. He can do anything you ask. He's super tall as well. Just an all-around player. Keegan Murray, probably the best basketball player of all time from someone that went to high school in Iowa. Hopefully I'm not missing anybody there, but that's the way that I rank him. Let's move on. Here we have the list that I'm least confident in and the list that I know the least about because this is probably a meme question and I have no experience on this topic. And that would be top five anime betrayals. (laughs) I don't consider myself to be much of an (laughs) anime. I almost said amine. I'm not really an anime person. I, I think that I might have seen... Uh, an episode or two of Yu-Gi-Oh! back in the day, if that counts. But uh, that's about the extent of my anime knowledge. But you know I gotta perform for the fans, for the listeners, for the for the crowd here at What's Cooking. So I whipped up a list based on some internet answers. Number five, top five anime betrayals. We have Aizen Betrays the Soul Society. Aizen is spelled A-I-Z-E-N. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Aizen betrays the Soul Society from the anime Bleach, which ran from 2006 to 2012. I do not have any further comment on this because I have zero information. Um, But uh, apparently, there's this guy named Aizen, and he betrayed the Soul Society. So that that would definitely uh, classify as an anime betrayal. And uh, Aizen, you got to be better than that, my man. That's number five. Number four. Satsuki betrays Ragio from the anime Kill La Kill in 2014. Uh, Satsuki, uh, he apparently 
betrayed a guy named Ragio, R-A-G-Y-O. And you can't be doing that, man. Why are, why are we out here betraying people? You got to stay loyal. So Satsuki, uh, get with it, man. Get better. Number three, top five anime betrayals. Uh, number three is going to be do not sign Kyuubi's contract. And that's from the anime Madoka Magica from 2012. Supposedly, there's this guy named Kyuubi, and he had a contract that he whipped up and people signed it. And it was uh, it was kind of like the social network when Eduardo Saverin signed the deal that uh, lowered his ownership stake in the company. So uh, the, what I'm getting at here is Kyuubi, his contract was pretty much a setup, if I'm reading this right. So uh, that's pretty shady. That's pretty sketchy, Kyuubi. Uh, you gotta you gotta be better than that, my guy. You gotta gotta be faithful out here. So. Uh, that'll be number three. Number two, top five anime betrayals. Number two, Anthe stabs Utena in the back. And that is from the anime Revolutionary Girl Atena, 1998. Um, what what can I say here? Anthe, A-N-T-H-Y, stabs Utena. Is it Atena or Utena? I forget, but you, you can't be stabbing people in the back, man. Like, at least when they're facing you, they have a chance to react, but you're going around stabbing people in the back. I mean, that's just a, a low blow. It's a cheap shot. You can't be doing that. That's an anime betrayal of the highest degree. It comes in at number two. Number one, top five anime betrayals. Number one, Griffith becomes Femto. And that's from the anime Berserk 2003. Um, I don't know if becoming Femto is a bad thing. But uh, apparently Griffith is someone that turned into Femto, which is F-E-M-T-O, and that is considered to be an anime betrayal. I don't really know the specifics on that one, but uh, if you've ever watched Berserk from 2003, maybe you know more about that. It It's so much uh, of a violation that it happens to be number one on the list for top five anime betrayals. Hopefully... I was able to add a little uh, context to the situations there the best I could, but uh, you can tell I'm pretty limited in this category. So there you have it, top five anime betrayals. Next, we have two remaining, and this is a very long episode, so we're going to wrap it up here soon, after what's cooking, of course. Top five childhood meals. This is a great one. I love food, and I love talking about food. Coming in at number five. This is a meal that my mom would always whip up, and she called it egg bake. And it's pretty much eggs that are baked, <laughs> uh, but you also have some sausage in there. You have some cheese in there. It's like egg sauces and, and cheese in a like lasagna type of dish. And you just you cut up some squares of egg bake, and you have it. And it was a recurring theme in the Cook household growing up always reliable. It never missed. And it comes in at number five. Number four, childhood meals. We would go to a pizza place called Tommaso's and then it later got renamed to Roscoe's. It was a pizza place on Edgewood Road. Pretty pretty sure it's still kicking there, but um, my brother's friend's parents are uh, involved with that place. So we would go there quite a bit and talk with them. But 
Uh, they had a Detroit-style deep-dish pizza there at Tommaso's slash Roscoe's that is unrivaled. It is unbeatable. The Detroit-style deep-dish pizza was just an invention unlike any other for pizza. It was revolutionary, and the amount of times that we've consumed that is a lot, but still not enough. So shout-out to Tommaso's, shout-out to Roscoe's Detroit-style deep-dish I think we need to go back there sometime soon. Number three. Talk about old classics. Zio Giano's spaghetti, gondola, and garlic bread. That is the big three of meals. When you get your Zio Giano's spaghetti, and then you get your gondola, which is a little sandwich with lettuce, cheese, and ham in there, and then you get your garlic bread all in one order, I think they called it family feast or something. That was a good night whenever we had that. That was always a success. Pretty sure I've had it on my birthday before. That's the kind of uh, royalty that I put on that meal. Uh, Unbeatable. Super good. Love it. Shout out Zio Janos. I think they actually renamed it like Zio Sophia's or something now, but it's always going to be Zio Janos for me. Number two, in, in terms of childhood meals, this one always hits different for me. Happy Joe's Taco Pizza. Whenever it was an important Iowa football game, whenever the season was on the line, if we were having a big opponent come to town, if we were in a bowl game or if we were having a, a huge matchup for the Iowa Hawkeyes, my dad would be on the phone, getting Happy Joe's on the horn and telling them to bring the taco pizzas on over because it was going down. Those taco pizzas from Happy Joe's are incredibly good. They have the little Dorito chips on top. You got your sausage and you got your lettuce and you got your uh, taco sauce. And they even come with a little mint in there too. So... Good old Happy Joe's Taco Pizza, a, a childhood classic growing up, and it always reminds me of an important Hawkeye football game, so it's a win-win there. Number one. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. This is probably the meal that I've had the most of in my entire life, and it is the meal that never disappoints, and I don't get tired of it. These other meals on here, you might get sick of them, this one, I do not get sick of. PB&J. <laughs> Just like good old PB&J. You get your bread. You get your peanut butter. And let me clarify. Skippy, chunky peanut butter. Don't go getting any Jif. Don't go getting any creamy or smooth peanut butter. You go Skippy, extra chunk peanut butter. I will battle to the death for that kind of peanut butter. Then you get your jelly. It can be grape, it can be strawberry, or if you want to get zesty, you can branch out and do some other flavors, but grape is the classic. You get your bread, which is going to be uh, whole grain bread, not this white stuff that you can slice through with your pinky finger. I need some some tough bread that's going to fill a person up whole grain bread and your chunky 
PB&J. And then you get a nice glass of milk with it, and you're good to go. And I've had that so many times. I think anyone that's my age, I would easily have more PB&Js consumed than them. I'm comfortable saying that with just about anybody in the world. Any 23-year-old in the world, I would put up my PB&J numbers against yours any day, and I think I would come out victorious. So, there you go. There's your top five childhood meals. And now this brings me to the last top five on here, which is one of my favorites to answer. This is going to get me fired up a little bit talking about some of this. Top five Dallas Mavericks moments. I am a Dallas Mavericks fan through and through, and that's because of a man named Dirk Nowitzki the German legend and the German Jesus, some people say. This guy is the most loyal athlete of all time. He played 21 seasons with one team. I don't think anyone's ever done that in any sport. Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe some irrelevant sport, but not NBA, not NFL. There you go. It's it's Dirk all the way. Um, (laughs) Well, let's actually get into the list. There's five moments in particular. Number five, 2006 Western Conference Semifinals, Game 7. The Dallas Mavericks are playing the San Antonio Spurs in 2006. This is prime San Antonio Spurs days. Prime Tim Duncan, prime Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili. And that team was a dynasty for a reason. They were so good. And so fundamentally sound with Coach Popovich leading the way. In this 2006 Western Conference semifinal game seven, the Dallas Mavericks were going head-to-head with these Spurs. It was winner advances, loser goes home. And what did Dirk do? He came out and scored 37 points. The Mavs beat the Spurs in overtime. And what I remember most from this game is that near the end of regulation, There's a play where Dirk gets the ball on the right post, mid post, mid range area where Dirk likes to post up. People think that he's going to turn to the fadeaway, but Dirk got the ball dribbled in and attacked the rim. And as he went up for the layup, he was like rotating and got clipped on the hand by Manu Ginobili. And the ball was just like spinning on the rim for a second and then it dropped in as Dirk got fouled for the and one, hits the free throw, Mavs take it to overtime and end up beating the Spurs. It was incredible. We actually ended up going to the NBA Finals that year in 2006, playing against the Miami Heat. We had a 2-0 series lead. And I'll let you decide for yourself if that 2006 Finals series was rigged or not. Uh, Dwayne Wade shot a suspicious amount of free throws throughout the series. Um, I was only... Six years old at the time, so I don't have a clear memory of watching that series, but from what I've gathered on the internet, it's quite possible if there was any series in NBA history to be rigged, uh, it might have been that 2006 NBA Finals. But we'll leave that aside, because we have other memories to mention, which is number four, 2011 Western Conference Finals Game 1. Dirk Nowitzki taken on the Oklahoma City Thunder. 
that had three future MVPs on the roster, Kevin Durant, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. Those guys had an excellent team, and they were a threat year after year. I'm still disappointed that they broke up and went their own ways. If they stuck together, they probably would have got multiple rings. 2011, uh, let's see what happened in Western Conference Finals Game 1. Well, it was Dirk, and Dirk was putting in work. Dirk Nowitzki scored 48 points in this Game 1 when the Mavs took down these uh, Oklahoma City Thunder. Guess what he did in this game at the free throw line? He went 24 for 24 from the free throw line in game one. That's more points than I've ever scored in an entire basketball game, an organized basketball game in my entire life. He did that in one game only at the free throw line. Dirk Nowitzki, one of the greatest free throw shooters of all time, he was just dialed in to a degree that had not been seen before. Dirk Nowitzki, 48 points. The Mavs end up winning that series 4-1, to one, I believe. And we move on. And uh, we are about to find out what happens next, actually. Let's go to number 3. 2011 NBA Finals Game 2. Uh, at this point, the Heat had already taken Game 1. So we're down 0-1 in the series. It's in Miami, and the Mavs find themselves down 15 points in the fourth quarter with 6 minutes 20 seconds left. This is a pivotal moment because the Mavs, if we go down 0-2, uh, statistics will tell you that we do not have a very good chance of winning the series, despite what the Heat did in 2006. We don't, uh, we don't think about that. We we're down 15 points, 6.20 left. The Mavs slowly but surely started chipping away. We had some J uh, Jason Terry jumpers that were going in. We had some Sean Marion buckets here and there. A couple other Mavs chipping in, but most of all, it was Dirk Nowitzki. Coming down from 15 points down, Dirk had the last nine points for the Mavericks in this game. Dirk had a three that put us ahead by three late in the game. And then we, we kind of fell asleep on an inbounds pass. The Heat got the ball over to Mario Chalmers, and he hit an easy open three to tie it back up. But it was that last possession for the Mavs. Dirk comes off a screen, gets the ball at the three-point line. They had Chris Bosh guarding him. Dirk dribbles in around the elbow, maybe the left elbow area. He posts up Bosch at first, and then he kind of faces up and drives left on Chris Bosch, going towards the hoop. And Dirk, with his left hand, is just a beautiful sight. He has one of the best left hands of any big man that's a right-handed big man that I've seen. He drove past Bosch, and he got into the paint and put up a left-handed layup that banked in and gave the Mavs a two-point lead. Heat come back with about seven seconds left, maybe. LeBron takes the ball up the court, gets it over to Wade. Wade puts up a three, and it bounces off the rim. No good. And there is a picture that I'm going to put in the social media post 
of this episode where it's Dirk Nowitzki right after Dwayne Wade misses that shot. Dirk gives a little fist pump, and you see that. And then if you look lower down in the picture, it's Dwayne Wade laying on the floor after he misses that shot. And that's just one of my favorite pictures of all time. (laughs) Just because of the rivalry that we have with the Heat and uh, all that they have done to us in 2006 that we will never forgive them for. (laughs) And uh, another thing that we won't forgive them for is what happened in the number two spot. But uh, it was Dirk with that signature comeback win for the Mavs in Game 2. Let's head to number two on the list. 2011 NBA Finals Game 4. Now, when you hear the term flu game, you think of Michael Jordan. But if you've watched the Last Dance documentary, there's starting to be a debate around whether Michael Jordan was actually sick due to just a unhealthy reason, like a natural sickness, or was it due to the pizza that he supposedly ate the night before the game? He ate the pizza, nobody else ate the pizza, and he believes that someone put something in the pizza. I think that might have been debunked when the pizza owner came on and uh, said that he didn't do anything to it, but it's Michael's word against that, guys. That flu game has been tainted his in his legacy because now there's a question mark hovering over that flu game. And now we must resort to the the real flu game. And the real flu game is the 2011 NBA Finals Game 4 when Dirk Nowitzki had flu-like symptoms, a temperature around 101, possibly up to 102. He was sweating and shivering and acting very sick because he was sick before the game and his teammates noticed this but Dirk still had to go in and play and he wanted to lift the Mavs and so Dirk goes in and he's missing shots and he's a little bit late on defense and he's not looking so hot and our teammates great credit to the support of the Dallas Mavericks Jason Kidd, Jason Terry, Tyson Chandler, J.J. Barea, and company. They helped Dirk out when he needed it the most. And we stayed in this game. And it was Dirk down the stretch that really put this thing away. And Dirk performed in the flu game. After his initial performance was not so great, He saw what the teammates were doing, picking up the slack, and Dirk ended up having a solid game. I think he actually scored like 20 points or something like that. But what makes this even better is before the game, you have a camera behind the scenes in the tunnel for the Miami Heat where we see Dwayne Wade and LeBron James mocking Dirk Nowitzki's sickness. They're doing some fake coughing. They're saying, oh man, I think I might be sick. It's hard to go from uh, 70 degree weather over to 75 degree weather, whatever they said. And Wade was fake coughing and LeBron was laughing and joking. And they thought that they had this thing. They were up 2-1 at this point. And they thought that they could just cruise on through. And guess what? 
LeBron in that game where him and Dwayne Wade made fun of Dirk's flu, LeBron got clamped up by J.J. Barea and scored eight points in an NBA Finals game. That might be the worst part of LeBron's legacy is that game in which he scored eight points in the NBA Finals. And let me just say, uh, karma? Question mark? You go around making fun of the GOAT, you're going to find out what happens. And uh, that's what LeBron and Wade had to find out the hard way. Um, Dirk, playing through his sickness, still was able to defeat the Miami Heat. In Game 4 of that NBA Finals, it was one of the all-time performances from a sick player. Jordan's legacy with his flu game is now under review, and the only authentic flu game is Dirk Nowitzki. Let's go to number one. The number one Dallas Mavericks moment of all time. Obviously, 2011 NBA Finals Game 6. The Mavericks win against the Miami Heat. We've sealed the deal. The job is done. Dirk Nowitzki, while there's still time remaining on the clock, leaps over the scorer's table and walks out the tunnel because he was very emotional and he wanted to give some time to collect himself because he could not believe what just happened. Winning his first and only NBA title, becoming MVP of the NBA Finals, getting the Bill Russell Trophy. Uh, he It was in Miami too, which is kind of tough because you don't have the home crowd there to celebrate, but uh, Dirk had to, had to leave there and then he regrouped and he came back out to celebrate. Um, the celebration with Mark Cuban and Rick Carlisle and everybody was just so happy for Dirk and it was his career-defining moment. It was the accomplishment that he'll look back on probably the most. And there was also a funny moment in the parade celebration where Dirk uh, was singing, We Are the Champions. And let me just say, Dirk, I love you, buddy. Uh, you're my favorite player of all time. Uh, you might want to leave that song to the people who created it. <laughs> uh, his singing voice wasn't exactly the best, but listen, you're an NBA champion. You do what you want. Uh, Dirk, you get the pass to sing whatever song you want because you're the GOAT. So there you go. Top five Mavs moments. Notice how I didn't have any Luca moments on there. Luca is incredible and Luca is unbelievable. But all of these moments uh, either directly or indirectly relate to the NBA Finals. And Luka, um, we've made it to the Conference Finals, but uh, once Luka adds to his legacy in making it to the NBA Finals, uh, there will no doubt be some Luka memories on here. But I just have to pay respect to the greatest power forward of all time, the greatest foreign-born player of all time, the greatest Dallas Maverick player of all time, Dirk Nowitzki. That was a lot to take in. If you're still here, uh, you're a real one. You're a OG. You are a diehard What's Cooking fan. You just sat through an hour and a half of me talking about some random top five lists. And for that, I will reward you by seeing what the heck is cooking in each of the four categories. What's cooking in sports? 
Some things in life just have a way of working out, and that's what we have today on the What's Cooking podcast. I just got done talking about how great the Dallas Mavericks are and how we have defeated the Heat in the finals. And today in the What's Cooking sports section, we have to report that uh, the Dallas Mavericks have recently defeated the Miami Heat 115-90. to Although this is 12 years after Mavs winning the finals, and I don't think either team has any players remaining from that roster, except Udonis Haslam is still with the Heat. What a legend, Udonis. Shout out. Um, otherwise, <laughs> everybody else is pretty much different on those rosters. But guess what? The Mavs still getting the job done. Luka had 34 points, 12 rebounds, 7 assists. I don't even think we had Christian Wood playing in this game. Uh, we held Jimmy Butler to like 12 points. I don't know what the deal was with him, but Mavs were clicking, and we beat the Heat, and it reminds me of old times, so it's a, it's a good day. Let's talk NFL, and then we'll move on. Four matchups this week. It's a divisional weekend, probably the best football weekend of the year in terms of the combination of amount of games and quality of games because these games are super important, and there's quite a few of them. First off, we had the Chiefs taking on the Jaguars. It could have been the Chargers if we won, but it actually was not because we choked a 27-0 lead. Chiefs end up narrowly escaping with a win against the Jags. And in this game, Mahomes got tackled and kind of rolled over on his leg in between two defenders, sandwiched him, brought him down. Ended up getting a high ankle sprain. But guess what? He played the rest of the game. He did take a, a short uh, break when Chad Henney came in, but it was Mahomes most of the way. And he was uh, doing some acrobatics. He was throwing off of one leg, doing some off-platform stuff. And, you know, if there's one guy in the NFL that you want at your quarterback position who's going to be able to improvise and kind of... I, I think of him as the Steph Curry of the NFL because... He just uh, he has a way of just improvising and just kind of making things up as he goes, and he's probably the best in the league at that. So reminds me a lot of Steph Curry, how he just kind of runs around, dribble in, th- in between guys and doing crazy moves and just chucking up threes, and it always works out for him. So Steph Curry, Mahomes, similar vibe. Then we have the Eagles that were taking on the New York Giants. Jalen Hurts returning from injury. He's still not 100%, but it was enough to get past the Giants and then some. The Eagles absolutely destroyed them. Uh, There was not really a game to be played here. It was just a boat race right off the bat. I think it's scary to think about Hurts not being 100% and the Eagles still playing at that high of a level. A.J. Brown is incredible. Their defense has so many sacks. Like, they... I'm pretty sure in the regular season they had four different players with 10 or more sacks. That is incredible. The distribution and the amount of talent on that defense, you better get your offensive line ready because, my goodness, they're coming for you. They're coming in hot. Eagles roll past the Giants. Then we have the Sunday games, first of which was Bengals versus Bills. The Bengals took care of business. They had no problem with the Bills. They they were uh, they won this one pretty decidingly, pretty handily. 
Joe Burrow, my man, cool Joe, my man, uh, Joe Shiesty, Joe, Joe, whatever you want to call him, uh, Joe Burr, <laughs> the man with like 40 different nicknames. He's just, uh, he's just a level-headed guy and he's a guy that performs when you need him to. I think that the first time I ever heard of Joe Burrow was that crazy LSU season, and ever since then, he's just been consistent and incredible, except last year, regular season, the Chargers absolutely demolished the Bengals, but we uh, we don't have to mention that right now. Shout out to the Bengals taking down the Bills. Josh Allen, kind of uh, questionable going forward, you know, like, it seems like they have great regular seasons, but they just never really find a way to put it together in the postseason. It's a shame because the Bills, uh, seems like that's kind of their history is not being able to get it done in the playoffs. But I don't know. Josh Allen and the Bills, Stephon Diggs is pretty pissed off if you guys saw that. Who knows what's going to go on there. They might make some changes going forward. Last matchup was 49ers against the Cowboys. Cowboys are known for collapsing in the playoffs, and they actually held it together pretty well in this one. They did come down to the wire. Maher did have another extra point missed. It was actually blocked, but I don't think it would have gone in anyways. He did make a a field goal or two, though, so got a little confidence back there, but Dak... I don't know, man. Dak was throwing interceptions. He had two of them. Uh, Brock Purdy was taking care of the ball much better than Dak was. Purdy, just a a steady hand back there, a good decision maker. Uh, Never managed to beat Iowa, but it seems like he's pretty productive with George Kittle in the NFL. So (laughs) it's funny what happens when you surround your QB with some Hawkeye players, you know? That's all all I'm going to take away from that. Niners are a force to be reckoned with. That defense is insane. So look out. Niners-Eagles is going to be a a throwdown. Bengals-Chiefs is going to be an absolute heater of a game. And this conference championship weekend is going to be insane. What's cooking in finance? We had a chaotic open for some stocks listed on the New York Stock Exchange which sent chills across Wall Street as dozens of the largest companies in the U.S. seemed to have billions of dollars erased in market value for no apparent reason, leaving some investors frustrated and others clamoring for an explanation. Trading was halted for dozens of big-cap stocks within the first 30 seconds of Tuesday's session, after they appeared to post wild swings that puzzled investors. It's like a glitch where their values were being misrepresented, apparently. And, like, people thought that they had gone bankrupt and people thought that they had, like, tripled their value in the matter of 20 seconds. The New York Stock Exchange operations were back to normal less than 20 minutes later. But still, traders and portfolio managers were shocked by the magnitude of the apparent moves. You had Wells Fargo and company, who appeared to have crashed 15%. And then you had Walmart that looked like it wiped out $46 billion. And then you have AT&T seemingly swung between a 20% gain to a 21% loss in the matter of seconds. So there was this unbelievable amount of volatility to start the day. People were confused, pissed off, 
and sad and angry and nobody really had a, a reason as to what the heck was going on. New York Stock Exchange is investigating the opening auction and why it did not occur for some stocks, although it did for others. The exchange said in a statement, investment and trading firms can consider filing claims on trades that were affected by the glitch. According to the statement, the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, also known as the SEC, said it is also reviewing the trading activity. I don't know if I would suspect foul play here. If someone got access to some of the reporting numbers and some of the systems that are in charge of displaying this, or if this just happened to be a natural occurring glitch in the system. I'm really interested to find out more about this because, like they were saying, these have huge implications because when you have stocks that are valued at different values, there's limit orders sitting on the sidelines ready to invest with conditional statements that are like, if this stock goes under this certain price, you will set it to automatically buy once it reaches under a certain price. Or on the other hand, you have people that if the stock was misrepresented in a higher value, maybe you had a limit sell ready to go. And so the stock price doubles or whatever, and that executes your sell order and you sold the stock because it went up so much. And now companies are going to be scrambling to try to get their balance sheets figured out and it's just going to be a mess. But thankfully it was resolved rather quickly. Uh, once again, I'll say that uh, I'll probably update you guys next week if I find any new news on this, but that's pretty rare to have this sort of uh, event happen. So interesting stuff. What's cooking in technology? The Justice Department and a group of eight states sued Google on Tuesday. Wow, Tuesday, quite the day. Accusing it of illegally abusing a monopoly over the technology that powers online advertising in the agency's first antitrust lawsuit against a tech giant under President Biden and an escalation in legal pressure on one of the world's biggest internet companies. This lawsuit said that Google had corrupted legitimate competition in the ad tech industry by engaging in a systematic campaign to seize control of the wide swath of high-tech tools used by publishers, advertisers, and brokers to facilitate digital advertising. So they're saying Google's full-on corrupt, man. Systematic campaign to seize control of the wide swath of high-tech tools? Man, they, they are... Uh, if if the lawsuit turns out to be in favor of the Justice Department, that's not looking good for Google. My goodness. The lawsuit asked U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Virginia to force Google to sell much of its suite of ad technology products, which includes software for buying and selling ads, a marketplace to complete the transactions, and a service for showcasing the ads across the Internet. The lawsuit also asked the court to stop the company from engaging in allegedly anti-competitive practices. We gotta be competing out here now. We gotta be competing. None of this anti-competitive stuff. My goodness, boys. Google. That has huge implications because Google, if you guys didn't know, owns YouTube. And 
the ads that are ran on YouTube videos are responsible for putting food on the table for so many different YouTube uh, content creators. And so if Google's getting in trouble with some of their ads and their ad campaigns and their ad procedures, I wonder if this is going to have a domino effect on the type of uh, advertising on YouTube and some of the revenue for YouTube creators. That's uh, very much concerning. So we're going to monitor the situation as always. Google under the microscope now going forward. The Justice Department has seen enough and they're going to take action. We'll see how the dominoes fall. What's cooking in video games? I cannot believe that I have not heard of this sooner. Supposedly, this has been a project in the works since late 2021, early 2022. And I just heard about this for the first time in the last week. There is a Call of Duty fan-made project of a game that's being worked on currently. It's called Call of Duty SM Squared, or SM2. I think it's SM Squared. It's a modded Call of Duty client based off the Modern Warfare 2 engine. Not the new Modern Warfare 2, the classic Modern Warfare 2 from back in like 2009. So it uses the MW2 engine from 2009 with all new features, all new weapons, perks, streaks, maps, quality of life changes, and more. All designed on top of our revamped gameplay to create a fun and balanced experience. And this is not people and developers that are associated with actual Call of Duty and Activision and all that stuff. This is, from what I've seen, just a, a fan-made, like crowd-sourced, um, anybody that's willing to help out. They have a, a dedicated team of mostly Call of Duty players who know what players want and know what the current games are missing. And their goal is to create a dream Call of Duty game. It's going to be a mashup of the best Call of Duty experiences in one place, completely free and player-friendly, with ongoing updates and community feedback to help make this project the best it can be. Although it is important to note, this will be exclusively on the PC. You're not going to be able to play this straight from your console. Uh, you're going to have to fire up the computer and get this game. It is free, though. So that, that should be an incentive to hop on PC gaming. Uh, I know for a fact that I'll be checking this out when it releases, although it's probably not going to be for a long time, let me tell you. Uh, the people at SM Squared are saying, we don't want to just make another MW2. We want to make a fresh experience while staying true to the COD traditions and giving SM Squared its own identity. And they also have a YouTube channel and social media pages their YouTube page just released a video a couple weeks ago of showcasing all the weapons that are currently in the game. You have weapons being pulled from the classic Call of Duties, Black Ops 1, Black Ops 2, MW2, MW3, Ghosts, Advanced Warfare, Infinite Warfare, World at War, uh, World War II. I mean, anything and everything. Some of the best of the best. Uh, for all the Black Ops 1 fans out there like myself, they have the FAMAS from BO1 in the game. They have the Commando from BO1. Uh, they also have a few other guns. I remember the Stoner 63 made it in there. Um, 
if I remember correctly, there was a few other, maybe a submachine gun. Um, oh, the Kipperis. Yeah, the Kipperis was in there, which was interesting because I don't think that was one of the more popular uh, submachine guns from Black Ops 1, but uh, I mean, hey, you do you, man. But I'm going to be keeping up with SM Squared as it continues to develop because everyone knows games these days are designed to make money, not really designed to give the best user experience. And so when you have a fan-made project that comes into light like this and it's getting the momentum that it does, we need to help uh, make this into reality. We need to support this because they're going to be focused on what the community wants more than anything. The game is free. They're not going for revenue. It's going to be an authentic and genuine product. And I really hope that it goes smoothly when they decide to launch all the servers and everything are going to be able to handle all the traffic. I just feel like this is going to like cause a huge debate or stir up within Call of Duty. It's going to pull... Uh, gamers from away from the actual Call of Duties and over to this fan-made one. I'm really curious to see how this goes down. They're still very early in the development process, so I wouldn't expect this game to be released in 2023. Who knows if it'll even be out 2024, but I'm so glad that this is on the radar because Call of Duty has gone downhill, in my opinion, ever since Black Ops 3. And it's time that we return to the former days of good Call of Duty games with uh, less complicated uh, functions and less stupid and glitchy and unenjoyable gameplay, skill-based matchmaking, all that crappy stuff. We just want the, the core games that we had in the early 2010s, MW2, Black Ops 1, MW3, Black Ops 2, that's probably the peak of COD, Call of Duty, and I think that's what this project is recognizing and capitalizing on. So shout out to SM Squared, everyone that's worked on that game, it's going to be so cool, can't wait to see it. Guys, this is definitely the longest uh, episode in What's Cooking History, I just rambled on for two hours about various things, a lot of top five lists, we had some What's Cooking news updates. Um, there you go. <laughs> I don't know what's, uh, what's in store for the future. I'm going to keep doing my thing. Keep seeing if, uh, any guests are able to come on the show. I think, uh, it's a little tough this time of year. People are kind of bunkered away in their homes, avoiding the cold and people have a lot of stuff to take care of. It's kind of grind season. Um, we're kind of stuck inside just trying to improve, trying to go through daily life, and who knows what the availability of other people is, but I'll keep uh, surveying out there. I'll keep seeing who's available, and maybe one day we will pump out another guest episode. I'm hoping definitely one day that we'll pump out another guest episode for you guys. But for me, that's going to be it. Thank you for tuning in. What's underscore cooking on Twitter? What's underscore cooking on Instagram? You can check out the Facebook page, the YouTube channel, the link tree, and the bios of the socials. You already know what's going on, boys and girls. We will see you in the next episode. See you!